You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. Thanks for listening to the uh, Burley Church of Christ podcast. And and just before the podcast starts, we'd just like to invite you to, uh, if you've been enjoying the podcast or you enjoy the ministry of Burley Heads Church of Christ, we'd love you to consider participating in our Miracle Month over the month of September. It's a month where we look at trying to extend the table, as we say, through radical generosity. And so if you'd like to give towards our Miracle Month appeal, uh, the various projects and the appeal can be found on bcc.org.au. And a way to give online can be found there. Enjoy the podcast this morning and, and hope you're having a great day. Hebrews, we're in Hebrews and uh, it's a bit of a, oh, I think it's a bit of a meaty passage. has been wrestling with it the last couple of weeks. And so I'm just going to kick straight in. So if you've got your Bibles, you've got your phones, let's turn to Hebrews 4, 1 to 11. We're going to cut, dissect, look into what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying to us this evening and saying to the people, of this time. Hebrews 4, 1 to 11. Read along with me. Therefore, not out loud. In your head, read along with me. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never Enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter the rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a, uh, this he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if I repeat that again, actually, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua has given them rest, God would have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following the example of disobedience. Simple stuff. There we go. We can finish there pretty much. It's self-explanatory. Well, at least it wasn't at all for me when I first read this verse. And as, I, as we've been talking about in this series, there is so much cultural, cultural, uh, cultural conversation that the writer here is, is speaking to a certain culture. So there's so much that if we don't scratch beneath the surface, uh, surface it's easy to miss. It's like when somebody says, do you want to, someone maybe from an older generation says, that's groovy. You're like, what does that mean? What are you talking about? But that means something to them for those that were around in the 70s. Or when someone from Victoria says, that's grouse. You're like, what does that mean? It's something strange the Victorians say. It's grouse. Or when I'm hanging with my friends and we're like, and we just got out of the surf. 
And we're like, that was the sickest sesh. We just got the gnarliest green room barrel you'd ever seen shackers. Now you would hear, I understand what's going on because I'm part of that culture. You would look on the outside and say, what is he talking about? But I am saying something. And, and the writer of Hebrews here is saying something to the people that speaks to them culturally. And if we unpack that, there's some incredible things that apply to us today. But even saying that, I reckon there's a pretty obvious theme. And I'm going to ask somebody if they, just hearing that verse for the first time, if someone wants to give a guess at the word, the word of um, maybe possibly the theme that the writer is using here. Do you want to give it a crack? If one word. Alicia wants to? Brad said Alicia. Bishop Brad said. Brad wants to. Brad wants to. Brad. Rest. Good, good go. Good go. So it's rest. The, the word rest comes up multiple times. And so the writer here, if you had to pick a word from this passage this evening, it's rest. It's the point that the writer is just circling around. God's rest. Rest. As I do, I quickly, before, I, I wondered what people think when they hear the word rest. So I Googled it, of course, and I looked up the top three or four searches when it comes to rest, and they're coming up now. This is what Google said rest means. Homer Simpson was asleep there, a cat asleep, and a guy laying out on the grass. This is what Google tells us rest means. I'm not saying that's not even part of rest, actually. Um, that's pretty much a very good way to physically rest. But the writer here is talking about something much deeper. He's talking about a godly, holistic rest. So with that in mind, let's unpack this scripture tonight and let God stir in us regarding his godly rest. Let me pray and we'll try to dissect this thing. <laughs> Lord God, thank you so much for the service that's already been. Thank you so much that before we even walked in this building, you were moving, you were stirring, you've been moving amongst our weak, Lord. Bringing people into your kingdom. And we're just so thankful that we can worship you. And right now, I just pray you stir us up as we hear these, these ancient but incredibly relevant words from Hebrews. In Jesus' name, amen. Three main narratives that I want to explore that the writer is talking about here. Three narratives that we find in this passage that come up. Three stories that the people of the time would have known very well. It would have been in their bones. Like a surfer and using the word barrel, they would have, they would have understood exactly what he's talking about. And those three stories are going to come up here in different writing. We've got the Genesis story. Keep moving along two slides, Joe, I think. The Genesis story, on the seventh day God rested from all his works. We've got a story from Joshua. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day, a reference to. And again in the passage above, he says, they should never enter my rest, which is from David in Psalms 95. And they're the three narratives that I think are the key to looking at what godly rest looks like. Let me start at the very beginning, Genesis where we were at rest with God. He starts here at the Genesis story. God creates the world, and you may have heard this, God creates the world, and even though God doesn't need a break, even though God isn't tired, even though God doesn't need rest, on the seventh day, he rests. He models something. Straight from the beginning, God is about disciple-making. He models something. 
He models a rhythm of rest and work, and he says everything is good. We, as humans at this time, have purpose. We have connection with God, and the universe makes sense. God models a time of the week to celebrate our lives in God and to rest with God. However, it's important to note not only do we have this time of the week, we also are in a stage at this time pre-fall. So God's presence is with us. So they live in a time and a place where their soul is good with God. They're at peace with God. And they live out of that rest. Every day is rested. They know who they are. They know what they were created to do and be. And so although they celebrate at certain times in their week, they live out of a constant rest with God. And you may have heard this story before, because we ruin it. I'll give away a spoiler. We ruin it. We decide to not live in God's way, not live in his rhythm, We break connection and we believe we can do better. We choose to walk away from God's good, his rest, God's purpose, God's way. And this may be the story from the beginning of time. However, it makes a lot of sense when you look around. I've talked about this before, but ask anyone how they are. You might have already done this and it's not, I'm good anymore. It's not, I'm not bad. It's, how are you? Um, I'm busy. I'm flat out. Got my hands full. Work, study, school, it's all a bit full on at the moment. I'm super busy. We hear this. It's just, it's like a benchmark. We are a culture that prides itself on not being rested. We treat busyness like it's this superior thing that we're all trying to be. What are you? I'm I'm super busy. Super busy at the moment. And I'm asking the question as we dig a bit further, what are we busy doing? And why are we so obsessed with being busy? I believe this links back to Genesis. Christian or non-Christian, this isn't just a message for Christians. We are so desperate to get back to that rest. Something deep within us, something in our bones is desperate to get back to the garden, back to God's rest. Back to a restored world and full relationship with God. After all, we work so hard to be financially stable so we can rest in our ability to provide. We're so busy so we can rest in retirement. Or maybe it's a five-year plan that we're busy with and then we're going to rest. Then we're going to slow down. Once we get this job, this home, this family, this setup, this finance, then we can slow down. And we invent things. I reckon this is hilarious. We invent these things that we claim are going to make rest. We invent things like the washing machine or the dryer or the dishwasher. Um, The funny one, I reckon, reckon lately is the internet and emails. Now, I've got a bit of a confession um, as I tell this story. My wife and I, I, I'm repenting on her behalf, I guess. She does watch a fair bit of Gilmore Girls um, on Netflix. And I once walked past... And saw this scene. I tried to look away, but I did see this scene. And I'm going to try to relay it from my memory. It was so brief. I wasn't watching Gilmore Girls. But, um, and there's this bit in it 
And it's from the 90s, right? So it's from the mid-90s. And Laura Lyon's dad, or, or that might be her name, um, he's, he's, there's this rich family. She's got rich parents. And they're on the show, they're meant to be outrageously rich. And he gets his laptop out. And he goes, honey, look at this. And he's doing, he's going, I'm getting emails at the dinner table. I'm on this thing called Wi-Fi. And it's not making fun of now, because this is literally when that just all sort of happened. And it was outrageous to think that somebody out there had Wi-Fi. And he says, things are going to be so much easier now. Now I can do emails. I don't even have to go into the office, he says. Fast forward 15 years. And it's horrible to get emails when you're trying to have dinner. It's horrible that we now have every way. And I would long for the days where supposedly you could leave the office and just leave work behind. Now I can check Facebook and check all the apps. There, there were a million ways we can be contacted, do work, be busy. But apparently 15 years ago on Gilmore Girls, it was going to change everything. We were going to be so rested. Or maybe our longing for this rest or longing to be busy goes a bit deeper than all of that. Maybe we're busy trying to be someone or do something that matters. We feel this disconnection with our purpose and our creator. And so everything in us is either trying to fix the void or like Adam and Eve, maybe do a better job than God. We're so desperate to be God or be in relationship, or back in relationship with him. And I ask the question again as we take it another level, is it working? Is, is it working? Because are we seeing our rich and successful people that have worked happy? Are they all happy now? Are people on their deathbed saying, oh, I was, my only regret is I wasn't a little bit more busy. I wish just I had a bit more time so I could fill it with things and more Facebook, and more busyness. Are our relationships deepening as a society because we're so much more connected, because we're so much more busy? Is it working for you? I'm not asking if you're tired, um, because we're human, and we're broken, and chances are we're tired at the end of the week, or the beginning of the week, and chances are we're tired. I'm asking, do you feel God's rest? Are you living out of it? Are you living in it? Because the writer of Hebrews warns us, warns of people through history who will miss out on it who, or who are missing out on godly rest. But he gives us ways to find it. He gives us ways to connect with godly rest. Two more stories. As I said, there's stories full that are culturally relevant to these people these times. And as I said, the first one was Genesis. The second one is Joshua. It says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about it another day. For those who don't know who Joshua is, he was the leader post-Moses. So Moses um, called the, the people out of slavery, took them out, and headed towards this promise that was given to Abraham, the promised land. And Joshua took over from Moses and he delivered that. He brought them in to the promised land. Now the promised land meant that they were no longer slaves. The Israelites weren't squatters in somebody else's country or somebody else's land. It meant they had their own home, their own identity, their own story. 
Joshua brought these people home. He found a place. They found a place to find an element of rest. It gave him a home for sure, but like all broken humans, once again, we lost our way and it only provided an earthly solution. Not God-given rest, not God-given restoration. And so the writer here tells a bit of a pun. He's actually a play on words here because Joshua and Jesus are actually the same word in Hebrew, Yeshua, the same word. And this is deliberate. The writer here is saying that the Old Testament Yeshua was not the one to lead us into rest. It was Jesus. He's saying the only way to come into the promised land, the the only way to come into the kingdom, the only way to come into restoration with God is through Jesus. It's through Jesus working on the cross that we remembered tonight that our relationship with God has been restored. We are not saved by works. We're not saved by being busy, not by proving ourselves, not by being somebody, not by doing something that matters, but God's grace alone. This is why the gospel is so powerful. Jesus is the only one, the truth, the way, and the life that will bring us home some point into the promised kingdom, into full rest with God. This is again highlighted by referencing David's song, as I said. In Psalms 95, again, David, another story. David is pre-Jesus. He is the best king they saw pre-Jesus. But David has this, writes this prophetic song where he says, even though, kind of, even though I'm a good king, <laughs> I'm not the one. I'm not the king. I'm not the one to rule this rest. I'm not the one to bring restoration. And again, like Joshua, David in Psalms 95, which is quoted here, tells us that it is Jesus, it is the true king who will bring us rest. So the writer of Hebrews here tells the people of the time saying, look, look here. Here you have your hero, Joshua. You all know who Joshua is, who gave you a home. And then he goes, look, you have King David, the best king that's ever been, the the king that is beloved by God. A man who gave us someone to look to. He says, however, if you want true rest, if you want true restoration, then you're going to have to look to Jesus. He is the only one to bring us home. He is the only true king and he'll give you rest. He's given his life so that we may have life and rest in God. So the question remains, cool, Steve, thanks. (laughs) But how does this translate to me now? A Christian in 2016. Well, there's two calls, two calls that the, the writer here is saying, come, find God's rest. Don't miss out on what God or what Jesus can do in your life now and what he's going to do. Two calls I want to highlight The first one is a call to trust in God's promised rest. If you're taking notes tonight, the first call the writer makes is a call to trust in God's promised rest. Just highlighted some verses talking about trust, but we'll move on in in relation to that verse. And there's a word here. There's actually two words for rest, and one of them 
matches this perfectly. And I'm, it's going to come up on the screen and I'm going to give someone a go at trying to pronounce it. I did actually have... Did that come through? The word is? Katabiusis. There we go. Perfect pronunciation there, Steve. Or oh, you're Greek. And this word means a celebration and trust in God's goodness. This is the type of rest the writer speaks about at first. It's the Greek word here, and it's a call not to lose focus on the end game. Saying, come on, guys, don't lose focus. To hold on to the promise that we are right and restored in God's eyes. And one day will be fully restored in his fully restored kingdom. This is resting in the knowledge that no matter how royally we stuff up, however bad things look, however messed up the world seems, we know and trust Jesus will bring us into the kingdom. Jesus is our Joshua that will bring us into the promised land. We remember what he did. And we trust and hope in the full restoration someday. Our full trust and rest hangs on Jesus. And I'm, man, I'm glad about that. I'm glad it doesn't rest on me. The second thing the writer calls us to be, and this is a little bit more practical. It's a call to be obedient in God's rest. A call to be obedient in God's rest. Got another word here for you. Coming up. This is the second word that the writer uses for rest here in Hebrew. And there's a reason he's using two words. And I'm going to get our intern Adam to have a go at uh, saying this word. So you're studying Hebrew at Bible College, so give it a go. Sabbatismos. Almost, almost there, almost there. So, but this one means intentional, ordered, regular rest in Jesus. This is the second word for rest used in this passage. And this is far more practical. The writer is calling us to be obedient to God's rest, to live in God's rest now. Yes, we have hope in the future, but we also have access to the Holy Spirit. We have access to Jesus now. This is not uh, just a quick disclaimer. I'm happy to talk to anybody after the service about this. At no point... In this passage, it is a call to keep the actual law of the Sabbath. It's a good law. It's a God-given law. But this is not a call to bring about the law again. This is not a call for the Sabbath. In fact, the reason the writer uses two different words is to steer clear of people taking it that way. I'm happy to talk to anybody about that, but it is not a call for the seventh-day Sabbath. That's a great idea, but we're not not, uh, locked in by the law anymore. In fact, the writer, I believe, is talking about a deeper rest than just a day. The writer is calling us to make time to stop. To not uh, not be proud of being busy, but to be proud of Jesus. This is a call not for me time. This is a call for you and Jesus time. This is not a call to consider your empire or your kingdom, but to consider God's will and trust his kingdom come. Not because the writer here wants to make some religious law, but because we were designed from the very start to be in connection with God. And when Jesus hung on the cross and said, it is finished, he meant it. No more. We don't add anything from this point. 
Nothing left to prove. Seriously, nothing left to prove. We simply obediently love and live out what happens. This is why it's called worship. This is why everything we do this week is worship. We're not earning anything. We're not proving anything. We're taking God's grace and we're worshiping him by loving others, by caring about others. We're simply obediently love. We were created to find our purpose in God. Anything else and we just, we, we become plain lost. We become plain busy. And so super practical tonight. There's a couple of things, a couple of steps that uh, I, I, I want to offer tonight when we look at what it looks like to try and live out this rest on a weekly basis. We have our first type of rest, which is looking and resting in the kingdom to come. And this second type of rest, which is a discipline, which is a way of living. And so here's some things I'd like to offer. Find and schedule time to do nothing but live with God. Let me explain. There was a custom in the Old Testament. They never followed this, by the way, but every seventh year, they gave the land rest, which meant they didn't grow anything on it deliberately. So they said, well, they were meant to say, anything that comes of the land, that's what comes. We'll just let the land do its thing. We'll let the land rest. And so it is with Christians. We need time to let God just bring the people he wants to bring into our life. How, he's meant to, how is he meant to speak into our life if our schedule is full? Don't make time because time is finite. You can't actually make it. So don't say you'll make time because you can't do that. Only God can. Schedule it. It might sound unromantic. Um, I just want to have a faith that just lets it happen. I just want to naturally, organically let my time with God happen. Great. For me, I tell you what happens. Facebook happens. YouTube happens. Kids need to be fed happens. Netflix happens. Often it's not God time happens. So for me, I need to schedule it. I need to make sure there's time to receive from God, to hear from him. You can be creative with it. You can go for a skate or a surf. But it's also intentional time being in God's story and hearing from him. The second thing is find and schedule time to reflect on what God has done and is going to do or is doing and is going to do. If we're going to trust in God fully, then we need to understand where he's taking us, where he's been and where he's going to take us in the end. There's a whole book at the end of the Bible called Revelations and it, it is super confusing. It's got lots of different imagery. People try to pick it apart and use it as a calendar and that's okay. But essentially it was written to say, hey, in the end, don't worry guys, things are going to get messy. Things are going to get wacky and weird and you just have to turn the TV on to see wacky and weird. But in the end, God wins. In the end, we are restored to his kingdom. There's a whole book to encourage us about that. Spend some time in the Bible, hear testimonies, reflect and help yourself understand where God is stirring and where he has moved and where he's taking us. You have multiple ways, multiple stories in your Bible. You can choose what narrative you want to live out each day. You can open up your Facebook and uh, and see someone having a coffee and think, that's a narrative I'm going to strive for that day on the beach. Or you can open your Bible and go, do you know what? God wins. God crossed the universe for me. That's a narrative I'm living out of today. That's who I'm going to live in today. 
You can look at your neighbours and see how big their house is or see how nice their car is. That can be your narrative. Or you can remember that the kingdom is coming. And live out of that. Find and schedule time to reflect on what God has done, is doing, and is going to do. Thirdly, learn to say no to good for God. I've heard it put another way. Learn to say no without making an excuse. I'm so bad at this. I say no, and then I make a heap of excuses. I don't have to justify saying no, unless it's a commitment prior made. Learn to say no for God. You may have to say no to Facebook, no to the beep on your phone. It might be even important. You may earn less money. You may and probably will have less friends. You may even be less productive, but you'll be connected. You'll be in God's plan and you'll be, I love this, you'll be, da- Lee's used this before, I think it's Catherine from the morning. You'll be dangerous for the kingdom if you start saying no. And lastly, find accountability. Because, oh, look, I'm not going to speak collectively, but I'm bad at this, super bad. I have a men's group that meet uh, every second week. Without a doubt, amongst some other things we share, there's a common thing that we all struggle with every week. It's, I'm busy. Oh, well, got to make more time for things. Next fortnight, I'm, oh, I'm busy. Oh, well, <laughs> got to do some of this. Next fortnight, I'm busy. We struggle with this. It's, it's, our whole culture is set up for us to be busy. So find someone who can help. Uh, find a discipleship group. Find a small group. Find someone that can keep you accountable to doing these type of things. Not as a religious war, but a way to live rested in God. I truly believe that not only a life in God's rest is more satisfying, more purposeful, and more impactful, it has the added bonus of one of the greatest evangelical tools. A life lived out of God's rest and in his confidence um, of his ultimate restoration is one of the most powerful things to witness. If you've been around churches long enough, you can probably think of someone that lives out of God's rest. And it's huge. People on the outside don't understand what's wrong with them. Why are you so calm? Why are you so joyful even in the hard times? Why are you just so... I don't know. There's a ton of people here that I know have come to church through different things because I've met people that are living out of God's rest and it doesn't make sense. I just want to finish kind of with us closing our eyes as the band come up. And I just want to read the words of Jesus in in Matthew. If we can just close our eyes for a moment. Thanks, band. And this is something that Jesus said. These are are red letters. These These are his words. This is the son of God's words in terms of rest. And I hope that this can be something you take with you this week as um, you think through some of these steps and think through some of the things that are, we've been speaking about in Hebrews. Let me read them to you. Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. He says this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord God, we live in a culture 
that wants us to be busy, that demands our status, that demands us to prove ourselves, that demands us to prove our worth. You have another message for us, though, Lord. It says you've got nothing to prove. Everything you could do has been done in Jesus. Lord, we pray that we can live out of that day to day. That we can live in the hope of your kingdom coming when things just get wacky and weird in this world. And that we can live tomorrow and the next day knowing that it is finished, that you have done all you need to do. And that all we need to do is love with your love and live with your light. Thank you for the chance to do that. And thank you that you sent Jesus to cross that gap, to restore us to you. In Jesus' name, amen.